live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. Lots to talk about, lots of things going on. Some really crummy weather all of a sudden out of nowhere. I mean, I kind of like I like the thunder and lightning storms. They're great for sleeping, but not for working. And uh, my little guy, Siggy, he's not crazy about that. He, uh, he likes to snuggle and hide and uh, do all that kind of stuff. Gives him some great anxiety. Um, so tonight we're talking about back to school, back to work primarily. Uh, but, you know, since it's my show, I get to kind of start off with some stuff that bugs me, right? So I said to my wife, you know, she says, well, what's that story going to be about? I said, it's about what pisses me off. So that's really what we're talking about right now. Um, if you're interested in chiming in here, 416-870-6400 is how you call me, or 888-225-TALK. And Corey's standing by. We have Devon on the board, and Corey's taking calls. Or you can text if you don't want to get through the board, 647 647- Four eight eight zero zero eight six. You're listening to Yona, but this is the road to recovery, and we're on it together. So I was reading an article uh, not uh, that long ago, a couple of days ago, about. Uh uh, what's going on in Calgary. And it says, steps away from Calgary's only supervised consumption site, a man unknowingly sold an undercover police officer a small amount of methamphetamine, one-fifth of a gram in a clear little plastic bag for 10 bucks. So, number one, this is all being take, being done near a safe injection site, which is a huge problem for me, number one. Number two, like 10 bucks worth of meth and anyway so this guy his name is michael hassard he was unsure of whether the plainclothes officer was legit or not uh but somebody he knew a girl that he knew in uh at the safe injection site vouched for this uh undercover cop as it turns out so i mean entrapment like i don't know i certainly think so it just it you know it's not the way to help people get better you know what i'm saying you know if if, if you're surrounding the safe injection site with undercover cops and 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 they're 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 looking to charge people with nickel bags and dime bags like seriously like it costs so much money just to process it it's crazy. Anyway, he was arrested by a uniformed police officer, uh, ununiformed, excuse me, uh, police officer who's charged with trafficking possession for the proceeds of crime under five thousand dollars. It's ten bucks. The guy's a drug addict. He's clearly not driving, pulling up in a you know beautiful new SUV with lots of bling around his neck and you know a forty thousand dollar watch and all the trimmings. It's a guy just trying to get by and probably was doing somebody a favor because that ten bucks may mean he gets something to eat, right? He gets something to eat. It's not like he's got a cartel behind him. Anyway, the arrest was part of an effort by the Calgary Police Services. It's called Operation Desist. It's aimed to stifle meth supply and target dealers preying on the vulnerable. Seriously? So how does that work? How does that make any sense? You get a guy who's vulnerable. He is the vulnerable. You're preying on the vulnerable. He's not a targeted drug dealer. He's a guy flipping somebody a dime bag so he can get a coffee and a sandwich, maybe. Not so he can spend money on his fancy condo. Like, it doesn't make sense here. None of this makes sense. Addictions and legal experts argue that the sting failed on both fronts and it further victimized an already at-risk group, 100%. Covert operations criminalize activities surrounding the supervised consumption site and its users. Um, it sheds light on it, right? It, it's, it, it just, it's, it's really not, 
it's embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I was the Calgary Police Service. Rebecca Haynes, uh, uh, I hope I pronounced her name properly, uh, is an associate professor of community health sciences at the University of Calgary. Uh, the Alberta government's planning to close SafeWork sites. Uh, she goes on to say it's, cr- it's crucial people understand how policing then influence public perception. Like, if you're turning sick people into criminals by entrapping them to sell you a nickel bag or a dime bag of anything... I don't see how there's any benefit. If you want to give me a call right now and bark at it, I'd love to hear from you. 416-870-6400 or 12-feet-888-225-TALK. Um, let me know. I mean, if you're as angry with, with this as I am, it's, cra- it's a crazy story. It, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. 2008, police reported a 29% increase in calls for service around the SafeWorks site and 276% increase in drug-related calls compared with the three-year average. What they don't say, though, is what kind of calls those were, right? They don't say whether those were calls around uh, overdose, whether they were calls around drugs being sold, whether they were calls around, you know, someone who uh, uh, was in, was in a, in a hassle and a fight over, over drugs. You don't say it's just a drug-related call. So you can really taint the numbers if you want to. Like, if you want to make it look ugly, it doesn't take long. Like, it's very easy to take the stats and bend them and twist them so it makes something look like you want it to. I've seen it done before. The moment you've sold drugs, even a small quantity, we're realistically talking about jail time, they go on to say. Operation Desist can turn people who use substances into sellers just because of their circumstances, offering marginalized and vulnerable individuals the opportunity to commit an offense. They're actually being sucked into it. Undercover officers testified at the stay uh, hearing that it was possible that drug users might be enticed to sell their drugs on request. Well, they're not drug dealers. Yeah, they're selling drugs. But if I flip my buddy uh, a $20 bag of weed, I'm not saying I ever did, ever would, or might think about it, but if I flip my buddy a $20 bag of weed, and he pays for my, my balls at the, at, the, uh, at the driving range. Am I a drug dealer? Or are we just a couple of guys helping each other? Like, at what point does it become, you know, two vulnerable people in a vulnerable community trying to survive helping one another in very small amounts of... Uh, listen, I'm, I'm not all for... I, I'm, I'm absolutely for going after as many drug dealers as you can find that are harming and hurting people and so on, um, but not if, there's, not if they're being sucked in by cops, um, you know, circulating around a safe injection site. One of the undercover officers testified at the hearing that uh, he thought the operation grounded in statistics and on drug-related calls in the area. Police didn't uh, didn't admit that the data was limited, however. They weren't sure if the cl- in collection of what they were talking about, whether it was drug trafficking, drug use, or an overdose, as we said earlier. Um, so this woman, uh, Haynes Sal, goes on to say that targeting people on the street level, they're just replaced with other people. And this sometimes leads to turf wars and exuberant. Like, there's nothing good comes out of this. Like, I'm just beside myself. I, I can't believe there's a, I can't believe there's a desk sergeant or, or a, shift, uh, a shift supervisor that actually stands in front of his troops as they do before each, 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 uh, each shift. When the, cops, when the cops go out to their shift, they have a little bit of, of uh, I'm not sure what they call it. They call it something. Um, anyway, they call it tour or whatever. They, they, anyway, there's a, they, they get together and they talk, you know, they make sure everybody's in line. They pass on whatever messages they need for the day. I can't imagine them saying, okay, guys, let's get out there. Let's get as many of these $10 baggies as we can find because we're going to be able to stave off the war against 
drug addiction and drug uh, drug sales, drug dealing. It makes no sense. I, I don't know how they're using these kinds of services, these kinds and deploying these numbers of officers and the costs related to that. And according to a, an Edmonton-based lawyer, his name is Avnish Nanda, that undercover operations near drug-related site, drug use sites go against the spirit of Health Canada's drug law exemptions granted to approved operators. He goes on to say heavily, uh, heavy police presence can deter substance users from the service, which is increasing the risk of overdose and unsafe supply. So if they're not, if they're not going to come to the site, right, because there's cops all over the place and they look like the guys that are using with you because they go out of their way to look the part, believe me, they can suck you in. They're very good at it. And listen, there's an appropriate time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-cop. I'm very pro-cop. I'm anti-cop in Calgary doing what they're doing right now. So, you know, it's, they've, they've shut the, let's just say, Alberta stripped the funding from the Lethbridge Safe Consumption Site. These people have nowhere else to go, and they're going to a place that they're easily going to get caught doing something that for sure was wrong, wrong enough to get them in cuffs into a, into a cell in front of a judge, and they're saying this can even turn to jail. We've tried everything else, and we don't know that this, that this is working, that this is not, we know that this isn't working. The stigma of being criminalized, of interacting with law enforcement, is far more costly to our system than to the individuals. person saying that is my guest, Rebecca Haynes-Saw. She's the Associate Professor in Community Health Sciences at University of Calgary. As soon as you come back, we're going to talk to her. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Okie dokie, and welcome back to segment number two. Thank you for joining us. This is Yona on the Road to Recovery, and we're in the studio with Corey and Devon, and we're so happy to be here with you. Have a guest on, and her name is Rebecca Haynes-Saw. We were just wondering if that's the right name, the right way to pronounce the last name. I hope it is, because I hate doing that. Rebecca, can I welcome to the show. Did I pronounce the name correctly, or did I just, like, poop on myself? <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's Haynes-Saw, just like Chainsaw. <laughs> Oh, just like, that's great. Now I'm going to have nightmares every time I think about you. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And um, you, I don't know if you heard the beginning of this story. I, I'm like really pissed off. Um, you know, I've been a street worker. I started my work, you know, 40 odd years ago as, on the street, actually doing work in downtown Toronto, taking methadone out to people that lived in cardboard boxes and in, in abandoned buildings. So, I, you know, I, I'm still a street worker at heart. And listening to this story, reading this story, um, just and unnerves me. Uh, give me an idea of where you're coming from and how this is all impacting you and the stuff you're doing. Yeah, well, I think the reason why, you know, this story received media attention and why we raised it and complained about the approach of the Calgary police is that there's been an ongoing tension in the downtown Calgary Beltline community since the supervised consumption site opened in 2018. Um, and we feel that actions such as this, like arresting very low-level dealers for a fifth of a gram of meth on the street, just contribute to the public perception that, um, you know, there's, there's, it's a criminalized problem and this is more important, this takes priority other than the 185,000 uh, visits to the site from people and the fact that no one has died of an overdose since that site opened up. So there's been this ongoing tension in the community. And this is just one example of how we feel, you know, police um, and people who were, you know, raising objections to the site really contributed to the sense that it was contributing to crime in the neighborhood. You think this is political more than it's uh, community, community policing? 
Like, are they, are they, are they looking to make the site look like cops are there all the time? There's constantly people being dragged away in handcuffs. See that it's not working. Let's get it out of our neighborhoods. Like that kind of stuff. I think it's a little of both. I have to say that the objections are far and wide and they started with many, um, community members and business members. Um, and there was a series of things like a report from Calgary police that showed there was, you know, calls to service were up really high, but that didn't distinguish between drug selling, drug use and overdoses and also hypervigilance of residents. So, yeah, I think it's a bit political. It's one of the actions that's showing, you know, this site doesn't fit in this community. We don't want it here. It's just increasing crime. Um, and we're totally losing a sight of the fact that we're in a massive overdose death crisis. In Absolutely. Province. Uh, and we need to have more sites. I mean, one of the things that happened is that we had a mobile site planned so we could kind of disperse people visiting um, and, yep. and bring that to other sides around downtown. And that was canceled when this government took power, right? So, yeah, on that wow. note, it's political. Yeah. So um, give me an idea of the neighborhood. Like, uh, we don't, you know, this is a Toronto-based show, and, we're, you know, I've been to Calgary, but I can't say that I've been to this part of Calgary. Give me an idea of the neighborhood that this uh, in safe injection site is in or the one that's being targeted. Um, what's surrounding it? Give me an idea of the lay of the land. Yeah. Well, it's in a downtown community where there's lots of townhomes and condominiums. Um, you know, it's kind of in the downtown. Like wealthy, like wealthy people or people that are above average income? above average in the condo okay. areas and then some also you know uh, not so wealthy people in some apartments around um, okay. you know there's a nice park there so that people tend to congregate there Central Memorial Park but the site is actually in a health center in the Sheldon Schumer Health Center where people go for urgent care where oh I've been, you know because I need to have my knee stitched up once from a you know a sports accident so it's in this it's a neighborhood where where people frequent and one of the things that's so frustrating to me is people want to live in a downtown core, but they want that downtown neighborhood totally sanitized. And I'm not saying people have to, um, you know, tolerate violence or, or open substance use in their community if it makes them feel unsafe. But the site was placed there because we had a survey, and, and this is where most of the drug use is happening in the city. Like, it, it, it right. wasn't brought there by the site. Right, <laughs> exactly, and the fact that it's part of a health sciences facility uh, is even more mind-boggling. Like, I could see if this was taking place in a building that's surrounded by houses and near a public school, and lots of kids play in the park across the street, and you know, that's the kind of stuff we're we're hearing about in Toronto when we're trying to open uh, more facilities and make that work because people just don't want them. <clears throat> people want them. They they want they want people to get well, and they want to help us curb the 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 overdose issue. They just don't want it at home in their neighborhood where they can smell it and see it. Aren't there enough criminals though? In, in Calgary to, uh, I did a little bit of a crime check here just uh, prior to putting the show together. There seems to be enough criminals, uh, in Calgary to keep the coppers busy. Um, you know, the cost of this and, you know, and just putting it all together and assembling the team and getting buy-in from supervisors and, and, and captains, you know, along, along the chain. It has to be driven from above. I can, you know, I know policing well enough to know that there's someone, you know, directing someone who's someone in policing that says, okay, we're doing this now. 
Yeah, I, th- I mean, I would think so. I think also when you talk about the costs and like where police are spending their time, it's absolutely a massive cost to the system to have that person, you know, go through a trial. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's, yeah. He's going, to, he's going to see time, even though in this case entrapment was argued because, you know, he didn't know these people. He wasn't too keen on selling them uh, this $10 bag of meth, but, you know, a girl that he knew vouched. So we basically yep. turned a, dr- a street-level drug user into a seller. Um, and the stigma and harm to them of being criminalized and coming out, uh, you know, it's probably going to uh, deepen their their entrenchment in in this life, right? Well, so oh, it's kind of a revol- revolving door. Yeah. What are you guys doing about it? What are you trying to do about it? I mean, I understand you're... So being an associate professor in the community health sciences, you yeah. teach... Basically, you're, you're an academic and you teach, right? Um, yep. are, you, are, you, are you an activist? Um, are you, is, there, is there an active group that you're a part of with all of your students that are ranting and raving going, this really sucks, we've got to put an end to it? Like, give me an idea of what you're doing, if anything. It's really hard in Alberta, especially in Calgary, less so in Edmonton, but it's a very, very conservative space for activism. I like to call myself an advocate, so I work alongside drug user activists. Uh, Especially, I work really closely with parents, a group Mom Stop the Harm. Uh, They're parents whose children have died of drug overdose, and you'd expect sometimes parents to be conservative and say, you know, lock up the dealers, they sold the drugs that killed my child. These parents have a remarkable lens on drug policy where they understand that our approaches in the war on drugs have hurt people in recovery, they've increased overdose, and they've hurt families by leading to more criminalization. And so I try and support groups like that that are really trying to advocate for a policy change because they've been impacted and they've lost people. How's that working for you? <laughs> it's okay. It's it's working okay for me, but... Um, you know, it's, it is a struggle right now. Our overdose deaths are up 40% from last year. Yeah, I was reading. 1,200 yeah. 12, 12, uh, plus people died last year. You know, the yeah. numbers are on par with COVID. Um, and we just don't see the attention. We don't see our chief medical officer of health. I know it's been the same in Ontario where just yeah. hasn't received the same level of attention. And it's, it's really a public health emergency. Uh, I'm going to another minute here before I have to let you go. Um, first of all, can we have you come back on some other time? We'd like to keep uh, keep track of what's going on there. And, um, you, you know, you, you brought attention to this, and we'd like to check in on you. That's okay once in a while? Oh, I would love that. You know, any forum where there's a chance where we can talk about recovery and harm reduction and the full continuum, I'm I'm really here for that. Yeah, it's, you're speaking my language, singing my song. The judges are supporting this, though, before we let you go. I mean, obviously, they come into court and judges are, are sentencing these people. I mean, the judges that I know and grew up with that are now, you know, gone from lawyers to judges, and I can just see them shaking their heads going, God, this just doesn't make any sense. Like, this is wasting my time. But I guess not, no? I see that some people get it, um, but there's been a lot of reaction to the story, even from from lay people and um you know, I've got some pushback from others saying, you know, this is a criminal issue. You you sell drugs, you commit crime, you go to jail. And so, oh, you know, this, yeah. this individual is, is facing some time. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't take his entrapment complaint. So, yeah, it, it's a struggle still. 
Rebecca Haynes Saw, she's the Associate Professor in Community Health Sciences and just sounds like a really neat person. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have, we're going to put you on that list of people to bring back. Uh, you're an excellent guest and hopefully, uh, this will just add a little more, uh, light on the fight that you, uh, have ahead of you. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're on the road to recovery. We, as soon as we come back here from break, uh, we're going to go to break here in a minute. Uh, before we do, I want to talk about, uh, our, uh, you know, crossover here to, uh, back to school stuff. Uh, our guest coming back, uh, after break will join us uh, here in a minute but I'm talking about mental health in the schools uh, and the conversations really about mental health and whether it should be part of the curriculum uh, you know in the school system and there's a 17 year old uh, young girl her name is Amy Nam and uh, she's kind of started this organization uh, to help kids uh, in school uh, to bring a new set of anxieties grade 12 is going to bring a new set of anxieties about highly contagious Delta variant she goes on to say cramp and assignments and ahead of university applications. Um, some, some people return to the classroom with better student welfare. Then she also says it only, uh, only be the case if mental health is integrated into the syllabus. Haven't heard that term in a long time. Into uh, the syllabus alongside algebra and Shakespeare. Uh, the only thing that a pandemic did in relation to mental health, she goes on to say, remember, she's 17, was really reveal the cracks in the system, says Nam, the executive director of youth advocacy, advocacy group called Reclamation Project. And um, I like that thinking. I like the idea of integrating. We've been talking, I've been talking with some people in the private sector about opening a private school that has uh, half the day of uh, GED academics, you know, to get your uh, your grade 12, and then half the day on things like, you know, mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, nutrition, fitness, proper sleeping techniques, anger management, and I can go on and on and on. Uh, experts have cautioned that stoking the, the alarm about, uh, about uh, this kind of stuff and kind of integrating it into the school system might have a negative impact on kids. I don't know who they're talking to, but that makes zero sense to me. Anyway, uh, as soon as we come back from break, we're going to talk to somebody who's an expert and she knows what's going on, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll take this up a little bit further. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are talking tonight about back to school for the first part of our show. This is Yona. You're on the road to recovery, and we're going to be joined shortly by my friend, Elisa Simon. She's the Senior Vice President of Innovation and Chief, Chief Youth Officer at Kids Help Phone and a good friend. Uh, before that, I'm just going to let you, I'm going to quote something here. Dr. Tyler Black, an emergency child and adolescent psychiatrist at U, University of British Columbia, said there could be an opportunity to introduce literally a mental health curriculum for kids, he goes on to say. But we know that what we're, we, we, but we know what they're going to do. They're going to say, all right, open your textbooks. And that's just not the way to approach it. Elisa Simon, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Yona? It's, I'm so good and I'm so happy to have you back and hear from you. And it seems the only time I can catch up with you is when I get you on air with hundreds of thousands of other people. But, um, I'm really glad that, uh, that you guys are out there doing what you're doing. Um, so kick it off here as a, as a, both as a child advocate and as a parent. What do you think about mental health, uh, education in the school system? Actually, I mean, I think that it's critical that we think about the mental health of young people everywhere they're going. So uh, we need our doctors to be talking to kids about it. We need our teachers. We absolutely should be talking about mental health in schools. And we've been doing that with grades 7 and 8 for many years. Um, kids Health Phone has a program in the schools. And what we find is 
even just helping young people understand they're going to have rough times, they're going to be sad, and that they have to talk about it, that skill is something you have to teach young people. And is it so? Give me an idea how your program works versus you know that they're talking about curriculum and textbooks and teachers teaching it as part of it. Give me an idea how how uh, Kids Help Phone. Uh, by the way, if anybody doesn't know who Kids Help Phone is, you should. They are the go-to solution these days, especially for pretty much anything phone or text related to help not just kids but their parents and their families as well. And uh, Lisa will get to that in a minute. But it, so tell me what you're doing versus introducing it as part of the uh, the uh, the the actual curriculum. Yeah, so what we do is we have a program, as I said, it's for grades 7 and 8, and we actually send curriculum to teachers all across Canada, and they talk to young people about help-seeking, about the fact that we all face difficult times, and who do we have or who do you have as a young person in your community that you could talk to? And so they do that curriculum, and then they have one session where one of our professional counselors calls in to the entire class so that young people can talk about what are some of the biggest challenges kids are facing? What happens if I were to call Kids Help Phone? Um, and they get to ask a real counselor questions. Um, and we actually are expanding that right now, Yona, because what we realized is that there wasn't enough of this curriculum for younger kids or enough for high school. And so we'll be rolling that out shortly because, as I said, we've got to be having these conversations. We have to be talking about how anxious everybody's feeling, how isolated people are feeling um, and schools is a great place to have those conversations so give me an idea um, uh, uh, give me an up a quick update uh, as I said I'm talking to Lisa Simon she's the uh, senior VP of innovation and the chief youth officer at kids help phone and just an all-around great lady uh, but tell me uh, uh, give me an idea of, of an update I know you got some peer-to-peer -peer stuff that I read about a little while ago um, and so on can you give me kind of a quick uh, synopsis of what you guys have done and I know you got it re received a ton of money from government and so on over the last year or so um, what are you doing with it yeah, so we were incredibly lucky over COVID because we were really, we were built to be able to build scalable solutions for young people and with young people. And so one of the things that young people have been saying to us is that they love being able to reach out to a trusted adult, but sometimes they want to reach out to other kids. And sometimes yeah. they want to be the expert. They want to talk about what they've gone through and maybe help another kid. So we worked with hundreds of young people from across Canada and built this peer-to-peer -peer support service. It's free, it's national, and young people can go on and they can post a question, they can post a problem they're dealing with, and other young people respond. And then we've hired youth moderators, so they make sure everything's safe. Um, and it's been amazing. We launched it a few, uh, few weeks ago. Yeah. And as we go back to school, we're seeing more and more young people uh, use that. And then uh, we're about two weeks away from relaunching our entire website with tons of new content, um, including things like mindfulness. Uh, what the research is showing more and more is that we have to be Excellent. helping kids take some control over their emotions. So yeah. we're bringing in some mindfulness tools for little kids as well as all the way up through teenagers and young adults. So give me an idea, The uh, how does somebody access? So we're talking about this. If someone's paying attention here and my audience is paying attention, which they better be, okay, pay attention, guys. Um, how do you access this peer-to-peer -peer process? or this pro the por Is it a new portal or they just go to the Kids Help Phone website? How do they you access it? go to it? our website. So anyone can go to kidshelpphone.ca. It has access to the peer support portal. There is information about how to call, chat, or text us. Tons of new articles and information like a COVID checklist for students going back to school. 
Um, and as I said, in about two weeks, that whole website is going to be redone. Um, so we're making it easier to find everything, but you can still find it tonight. Um, so definitely go and check it out. Check it out yourself as a parent. If you've got young kids in your life, bring them to look at it as well. Amazing. <clears throat> Give me an idea of your back to school readiness. Like you, you, you know, we know what's going on. Parents and kids are having major anxiety issues. They're going back to school. Uh, you know, I did a, read an article not long ago, but you're getting ready to leave your pet for the day, let alone leave your kids or send your kids back to school. And they're not home with mommy and daddy all day long like they've been. Um, tell me about your back to school readiness. What's being said on the front lines? What are you guys talking about uh, in your war room as it relates to getting ready? Well, the reality is, I mean, we're seeing increases of young people coming to us talking about anxiety, about back to school, exactly what you're saying, Yona. Um, I think that all of us, whether you're an adult or a kid, we're feeling some anxiety as the world seems to be opening up a little bit, but at the same time, it could close again. Um, yeah. We're seeing young people come to us <clears throat> talking about back to school. Um, about 33% of our users last month in July were already feeling anxious about back to school. Um, we also have young people who are talking about uh, depression, isolation, Fear. So for a lot of young people, you know, school is a great safe place there with friends. For others, it's a place where bullying occurs. It's a place where they are fearful about their grades or not doing well. Um, yeah. And so I would say for everybody right now, there's a sense of uncertainty. Are schools going to stay open or are kids going to go back to remote learning? Um, are you going to be with your friends? What's it going to be like? And that happens every year, but it's heightened uh, during COVID. Uh, personal question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but I'm sure you will. How are you doing as a mom? Um, you know, I know you personally. I know you have children. Uh, I know you find a great balance between work and, and, and being a mom, an active mom. Um, how are you feeling as a mom in terms of your kids going back to school and just what that's going to look like? And I know you're busy looking after everybody else's kids, but what's in your gut just being the mom that you are? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, the reality is that I feel like um, I feel the same anxiety that every other parent does, right? Um, as my daughter is looking to what class she's going to be in, how big is the class? Is she going to be in a cohort with her friends? Um, thinking about the fact that last year she lost a lot of learning. It was not a year um, where kids really learned a lot. We sort of survived last yeah, year. Yeah, survival year, exactly. Um, and really hoping that this year will feel a little bit more normal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as, as an adult, as a parent, I think all of us are facing those anxieties of, are we going to be going back to work? Do we feel okay getting on the subway? Um, there's just a whole bunch of questions as we think about um, things opening up. How safe do we feel? And then how safe do we feel for our kids? What do you, uh, you know, you read a lot of statistics, you are on the front lines, you've got an exceptional team of people uh, that are feeding you with uh, data in terms of what's going on with kids and what's, you know, almost a lot of forward thinking, I'm sure, goes into your war, war room planning. Um, what are you and your, and your, and your uh, colleagues most afraid of uh, going into the school year? I mean, the, the, the obvious of lockdown and stuff, but that's not a fearful thing, right? But what are you most afraid of uh, now that we're turning the lights back on in the classrooms? Well, certainly. I mean, I think about keeping our kids healthy, absolutely. And as we're seeing, you know, the Delta variety impacting young people more. Um, I think that certainly things around are we doing all right by education for our kids? How much have they lost? Right. Um, relationships. I mean, kids have been really isolated and spending all of their time on screens and building relationships through that. 
Um, right. How is it going to be back face to face? And look, you know, we've seen large increases in conversations around suicide in the last year, around body image and yeah. um, eating disorders. Those things just don't go away, right? Um, and so all of those really serious um, mental health concerns, we continue to be worried about how do we make sure that every young person, um, when they are going back to school, as we enter into the fall, um, that are having challenges with their body, that are thinking about self-harm, how do we make sure that they're all getting the support and help they need? Yeah, that's, uh, that's got to keep you awake at night, right? Yeah, I don't sleep great. <laughs> well, where are you where, where are you where are you getting help for your own? Uh, you know, we've got about a minute left here. Where, where are you getting help for your own uh, your own stuff? I mean, it, as an organization, is uh, KHP a Kids Help Phone? Um, are you providing all the necessary support for your staff, yourselves, management, and so on to kind of try to get through this? Because it's got to be burning you a little bit too, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been doing a huge amount to try and support our frontline staff. We increased our mental health benefits. We've offered um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, mindfulness to our own staff. The other thing is that um, Kids Help Phone helped to start a national service for all ages over COVID called Wellness Together Canada. It's free. It offers 24-7 counseling to anybody of any age. Um, And so, you know. How do do people access that? How do they phone? Is it a phone number? So Google or go to wellnesstogethercanada.ca. This is paid for by the federal government. You can get 24-7 counseling for adults. It's offered through Homewood Health. And then kids are sent to Kids Help Phone. But it also has mindfulness. It has group therapy, tons and tons of free supports for anybody of any age, coast to coast. Talk to Elisa Simon. She's the uh, Senior Vice President of Innovation and the Chief uh, Youth Officer at Kids Help Phone and someone I would call my friend. We're going to have you come back on, as you know. We're going to find you in a month or so and uh, come back and see how we're doing after the first month of back to school. And uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. When we come back, we're going to talk about things like uh, if my daughter has blue hair, is that a sign that there's something wrong with her mental health? Like, duh, we need to talk about this stuff before you freak out. This is Yona Bud. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Okay, this, this, this is Yona. Welcome to Road to Recovery, you know, all that stuff. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you all uh, here with us. You're an exceptionally good audience, and we really appreciate your listening in. And we know they were there because we have ways to track it. So even if you pretend you're hiding and you don't think I know you're there, I know you're there. So I actually may knock on your door one day and say, thank you for being a listener. Here's a gift. No, just kidding. Likely not going to happen. Okay. This is something you can call me about, right? 416-870-6400. That's, I want to hear from you if you're local for sure. 8, 4870-6400, 416, the area code, or 888-225-TALK, which is 8255, or text me. I know this is a lot, right? 647-488-0086. Or you can always reach me at road to recovery at 640toronto.com. You can send an email or anytime if you need any help. Uh, I'm glad to help you. 877-777-5808. So here's the question. The parent that was fined $880 for allegedly sending her child who was experiencing COVID symptoms to to uh, to daycare. Local public health unit said the region's medical officer of health issued a Section 22 class order for the incident, which occurred on August the 3rd. In this situation, the individual, individual sent their child to a child care center while the child was experiencing symptoms and would have not passed the daily COVID-19 screening tool. 
according to York Region Public Health. The parent, who was a Vaughn resident, was charged $770 plus a victim surcharge fee totaling 880 bucks. You think this is legit? Does this make sense if you send your kid to school? Or for that matter, if you come to work and you've got symptoms and you're not telling anybody because you're keeping it undercover brothers so no one's going to know you're sick so you can make your cheese for the day, you get your paycheck. You think you should have to pay a penalty? And is 880 bucks a real penalty? Does that make any sense to anybody? Is that a real number? I don't know. If you're anyone in your household experiencing symptoms, you know what you're supposed to do. According to this Section 22 class order, uh, if, you, if, you're, uh, if you knowingly go to work or you knowingly go to school or send your kids to school and they're sick, they have symptoms, and you know of these symptoms, then um, you're going to end up with a fine of some sort. Um, and in this case, it turned out to be 800 and some odd dollars. Obviously, no one's calling, so it can't be a big deal for you. I think it was a big deal for me for sure. 416-870-6400 if you want to let me know that. I'm worrying about stuff I shouldn't be. You can say that to Yona, just chill. Don't worry about stuff that's not uh, necessary. Anyway, speaking of stuff that's not necessary... I'm going to read you something. I'm the mother of a son, 15, and a daughter, 13. I work from home, so I'm more attuned to the children daily than their father is. Both children experienced a lot of pandemic-induced loneliness from not seeing friends in person. Their adjustment to online learning took time and caused self-doubts and frustration. I've read that many similar-aged young people developed mental health issues during these past 15 months. I'm wondering whether I've been responding correctly to some of their reactions, my kids' reactions. My daughter, who's mostly been cheerful, Fun-loving, started showing puberty signs and became quieter and moody. Okay, it, it happens, right? That happens at that age. And while the, they, that seemed part of the natural process, she suddenly, without discussion, dyed her hair blue, having bought the product from her own allowance. Well, better than a tattoo, right? Better than a piercing or a tattoo, a lot less permanent dyeing your hair blue. And by the way, who really cares, right? Hair blue, green, orange. It's, it's the ones that shave it off drastically that you you know that have been coveting their long hair forever those are the kinds of questions you want to ask if it's related to self-harm in some way while that seemed part of the natural process the dying of the hair just uh, didn't seem right my son she said became distant his bedroom door is mostly closed okay most kids close their bedroom doors because they don't like their parents they're just not fun to be around and that's okay it's not your job to be fun right it's your job to be the kind of parent you need to be and that's all that counts, right? And sometimes they want to lock you out, so they close the door. He was playing video games a lot, not doing his homework, and so on, maintained some fairly good grades. Kids are getting good grades. It's hard to say much, right? They're doing well in school, and they're, you know, they're passing the things they need to pass, and their room isn't a complete pigsty, and blah, blah, blah. They're doing all the things you ask them to do. It's hard to complain. Parents do it anyway, though, right? So they, kids don't come to their family meals. I don't want to overreact, but also don't – not to, I need to also not recognize my children's innermost needs. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to miss that. I don't know. What do you think? She's dyeing the kid's hair blue. A big deal. I think it's great. Here's my opinion. I think it's great. I think when kids individualize themselves. I think when kids do things to stand out, that tells me that they feel somewhat confident, or they're looking to find their feet. They're looking to find that place where they fit. They're looking to find that place that, that they feel comfortable. And if, if they feel comfortable with baggy pants and blue hair and, and, and a, a, an earring, so be it. Because they're just talking about finding an individual sense of self, right? Just trying to find an individual sense of self. Very important 
that kids become individuals. Very important that they find their own place, that they get comfortable in their own skin. That might be hair color, might be hair length. In my day, my mother used to freak out because I wanted my hair long. I mean, forever, me and my three brothers, my three brothers and I, excuse me, my three brothers and I, we go to the same uh, Hollywood barber at Bathurst and Shepherd and get our heads buzzed. So all four of us look like we're ready to go to, God forbid, to a concentration camp or to prison, right? Shaved right down to like, I don't know what the kids call it, a one or a zero. Whatever's lower than a one. And just a step above being bald. So when I was old enough and I could let my hair grow, I did. And here I am many, many years later and I let my hair grow because I can. So, you know, it's all about being individual. For me, it's about my individuality. One of the things is I have long hair. Always have. And uh, it's kind of part of my Samson thing. You know, I, I'm not cutting it now because I've thankfully been through this 18 months like the rest of you and did okay and had found some strength and some new uh, inner strengths and some skills I didn't have before and so on. So I'm keeping the hair. I'm going with the Samson thing, plus plus my wife, Pumpkin, she loves it. So that's good enough. And she said, if you're old enough, to, if at your age, if you have a full head of hair, she said you should flaunt it. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about the kids, right? So if they're doing things like, you know, changing their hair color, wearing makeup in a different way, you know, wearing clothes that they may not have worn before or wearing them in a different way, you can, you know, I would compliment it. You know, wow, you look really cool. Or that's a different look. Looks cool on you. Oh, wow, that's really creative. You know, you don't have to like it. You don't even have to, you know, you don't even have to like really, you know, let them know you approve it. But you can certainly give them credit for having the parts and the and the moxie and the confidence for having the, to be able to stand up and 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 look a little different, be a little bit different, in order to uh, stand out, I suppose, in order to feel better in their own skin. Whatever whatever that works, whatever works for people, whatever makes them the most comfortable is what. As long as it doesn't hurt them or anybody else. Like really, does it really matter if your son's pants are halfway down to his to to, to his thighs and his beautiful thirty dollar underwear are sticking out the back? And like, does it really matter? Yeah, I can't stand it either. Don't get me wrong, right? I don't. I'm not agreeing with it. I don't love it. But you know what? Who cares, right? With all the bling and the shirts and the hats and the caps and like, everyone's trying to find their groove, right? Everyone's like Stella the movie. Stella found her groove, right? Everyone's trying to find their groove and be the most comfortable they can be. And going back to work, you know, listen, some people aren't ready to put a suit and tie back on and they're going showing up at work in, you know, golf clothes or golf-related clothes or, you know, polo shirts is what they call them. I don't, it's like Kleenex is Kleenex, but tissue is tissue. No, like a collared shirt with a couple of buttons, right, and a pair of pants. And, and that seems to be okay because the suit and tie thing isn't working for everybody. Anyway, speaking about that, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about going to work. And low mental health reported among Canadians compared to pre-pandemic is through the roof. And people are now talking about going back to work, having to go back to work. It's, it's you know, we're going to talk about the pros of going back to work and the cons of going back to work. So we're going to see you in a minute. This is Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Okay, welcome back. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's a little after 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones? If not, you need to go find them. Your pets are included, including the seniors in your life. If you can't find them and you think that there's something wrong, you should probably call 911 
800-878-9811 or get a hold of us right here right now. And Corey will help you, 416-870-6400. We'll take your call and do what we can to help. Uh, low mental health reported among Canadians compared to pre-pandemic survey. Canadians have reported negative levels of mental health in the 16th consecutive month since April. This is a LifeWorks a monthly mental health index. Um, the score was 10.1 compared to the pre-pandemic benchmark, which was at zero. According to LifeWorks, this reflects a population whose mental health is similar to the most distressed 4% of the benchmark population. Uh, per LifeWorks July report, managers have worse mental health and are experiencing more mental strain than those who aren't managers. For the 14th consecutive month, full-time college university students have also uh, scored the lowest mental health score. Basically, from our research, the center of everything in terms of well of health and well-being is uh, and productivity is one's mental health, according to Paula Allen. She's LifeWorks global leader and senior vice president of research and total well-being, and she's my guest. Thank you for joining us tonight, Paula. How are you? I'm doing well, and it's a pleasure to join you. Oh, excellent. Thank you for having us. So uh, t- tell us a little bit more about this report and uh, kind of what what drives the report and what you do with the data once you have it. Yeah, so this, is, this report is something that we had been developing well before we even had any contemplation that we would have a pandemic. And, and the reason is that, you know, mental health is basically the center of everything. It's, you know, quality of life, your work productivity, your participation in your economy, your, your relationship. Uh, it really is centered to uh, who we are as human beings. So we felt it was really important for us to, to really take hold of it and understand it better. And, of course, the way you understand things is to measure them. You know, you under, you understand whether things are going well or not well, and then you ask questions as to why. So that's the reason uh, for the, the Mental Health Index. And we've been uh, reporting on it on a monthly basis since April of 2020. And as you said, you know, the benchmark period was prior to the pandemic, 2017 to 19. And we saw a dramatic decline uh, as a result of the pandemic. It's coincident with the pandemic. And unfortunately, we really haven't improved all that much since, since April of 2020. You provide the research, you do the index, and uh, then you have the ability to uh, go forward. Give me an idea. Uh, do you provide the services to companies and individuals, or um, does this turn out to be a helping process? Give me an idea of what LifeWorks is mandated to do. Yeah, for sure. Like I heard what you just said. I might not have heard just uh, just a, a little bit before, so forgive me if I'm, I'm answering only part of the question. So uh, definitely LifeWorks is a helping organization. Uh, we primarily help organizations in helping their people. So we're hired by businesses, uh, governments, uh, post-secondary uh, institutions, and what we do is we provide services that support the well-being of individuals and families. So we, we do a lot in terms of overall well-being, mental, physical, social, and financial, but really at the core of what we do and the core of our expertise is uh, mental health and well-being. So that includes services, information, uh, training, you know, whatever it is that will help people be at their best and get the support that they need. Do you provide counseling? I mean, you have, you have a counseling service or a therapy-related component? Yes, absolutely. That's within our employee assistance program. Uh, so we have a network of counselors uh, across the country, and as a matter of fact, globally, we, we do uh, counseling in 180 different countries. Wow. 
Wow. And it's it's uh, voluntary and confidential for the employees. So, you know, you can reach us through an app uh, that's provided by your organization or a telephone call or through a chat. There's many re- ways that people can reach. But the most important thing is, number one, it is confidential. Number two, you will get support whenever you call, 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, number three, you'll get the type and level of support that you need. Some people need a conversation, a one-time conversation. Others yeah. need a fair bit of follow-up. Yeah. And number four, and not least important, but it's, it's completely uh, uh, without any cost to the employee. They don't even have to pay and get reimbursed. It's, now, it's, a, lot, a, a, lot of, a lot of companies, I don't mean to cut you off here, a lot of companies, i got so much to do, and we got such a short period of time. A lot of companies, um, plus I'm on fire at 9 o'clock, at 10 o'clock at night, so um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of employees, uh, employers actually have this kind of stuff covered uh, in their insurance plan, in their, in their employee um, support programs or whatever, you know, incentive plans and so on, um, and they don't realize it. They don't realize that a lot of what you do, I think, is, can be covered by their health insurance, correct? Right. I mean, some employers have it bundled in with their health insurance. Other employers, you know, have it as a separate program, but, it, you know, it, it is the same employee assistance program. And it's not only for individuals, but your family members as well. Amazing. Uh, because we know that, you know, mental health isn't just a, a solitary situation. Uh, family members can be impacted, you know, either, you know, by themselves or the whole family could be impacted. And, and that's what we provide support to. Yeah, we say in the business that mental health and addiction is a family sport. Everybody gets to play. Um, 66% of Canadians said that working from home had a positive impact on their mental health. 34% of the people said a lack of commuting time is the most important reason to work remotely. Now, the, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you are a global, uh, uh, you're involved in, in the global work of, uh, of LifeWorks and uh, SVP of research and uh, total well-being, the global leader. But um, give me an idea of where we fare, uh, perhaps in the uh, some of the other countries that your your organization touches and works with, uh, where are Canadians vis-a-vis, let's say, Europeans or or other parts of the world, um, in terms of you know how we're feeling uh, about going back to work and the stigma stigma around uh, some mental health issues if you're feeling it and so on. Where do we rank in all of that? Well, in- interestingly, um, majority of the con- countries that we where we do this, um, mental health is really about the same in most of our most of the regions. It actually started out quite a bit different. In Australia, it was much worse, and and you know there was some variation. But over time, we're actually settling to be quite similar, and and everybody is is has has had a decline since um uh, since the pandemic started. Um, and in terms of returning to the workplace. Uh, there are, again, a lot of similarities. Probably the, the outlier might be Australia, though, who are, the Australians are a little bit more anxious to return to the work site. A little bit higher proportion of them want to return to the workplace uh, full-time than in the other countries. Um, but, you know, it, it is interesting to see that, you know, very practical things are really wanting People to, to yeah, having people want to, to have that kind of flexibility, commuting time, cost. Um, and I think the one thing that we need to really be aware of is if we have this flexibility, which is great, we also, I think, need to be very focused on the fact that we've become more isolated as a result of this pandemic. And, that, and we actually started that path before the pandemic. 
So how we live our lives, you know, whether we're working in the office or at home, you know, we really do have to make sure that we're maintaining high quality uh, contact with other people because that's not helpful for anyone if we don't. You know, we spent, uh, you know, as a therapist and as a crisis worker and so on, um, I can tell you that we spent, you know, the the media and the government spent a lot of time and money uh, teaching us and forcing us and, uh, you know, pretty much mandating that we stay home. Socially distance was the, was the, uh, uh, you know, socially distance was the first thing. And then it became, you know, uh, you you know, the distance wasn't social. You can still get connected. We made a mistake with that, that messaging. Um, We were telling people. To stay away from each other. We were telling people to sort of, you know, don't see them in person and connect electronically, which for a whole lot of people can't do that. I mean, I run a virtual uh, outpatient program. It's extremely successful, but it's not for everybody. Some people want to have therapy in person, whether you provide it or not. So, uh, you know, I guess, I guess what we're seeing is now that people are starting to talk about going back to school, which is connected to going back to work for a lot of folks. Um, you know, are you are we really ready, and and are the employers ready, whether they're you know they they uh, they work with you or not? Are they ready to understand that you know Billy might come back to work on Monday, and by Wednesday his anxiety might be going through the roof and may need some time off? And, and are are our business leaders ready for this uh, fluctuation and perhaps flexibility, and letting us put our feet in the water a little bit before we have to actually swim across the lake? Yeah, we've been communicating that a fair bit to em- employers. I mean, this has been a very, very difficult period. Look how many months that we've been on the un- under this strain, and that's on top of the strain that 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 people were dealing with even before the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and you know, you know we, we we nobody just flips back in two weeks after a strain that's been going on for months. So I think that that transition period is important. That flexibility is important. Pandemic or no no pandemic, um, I do think it's it's important as well for people not to 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 foster good quality contact. You know, you could you could say that it might be great for people to come into the in an office and see other people, but if you don't feel a sense of belonging, that's not going to be as helpful as it otherwise could be. So I, uh, I do think it's. No, go ahead, please continue. You do think what? So I do think it's important for 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 employers to to sort of recognize that, that all of that. But I also wanted to sort of amplify something that you just said, which is, yeah, from a therapy point of view, that flexibility being available is is also good and important. You know, people have been thriving with digital therapy, but as you said, it's not for everyone. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's important and what we offer and, and happily what you offer is a range of options and everyone should feel comfortable that they will be able to get what they need. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm totally with you. You said our in in the article here it says uh, our society went on to say our society is really powered by people. the The difference between organizational success is the people. Um, I really love the work that you're doing. I'm hoping that you can continue uh, to you know come back and visit with us from time to time because I really like to know uh, what's going on around us. More importantly, and 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 if we can give us an idea of what's going on around the world, that's kind of nice and gives our listeners um, something to chime in on as and 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 listen to and have a have something to say about uh, what they think. So we're going to be interesting to see what the next month or so, don't, don't you think, Paula, that we're going to see people going back to school, back to work and so on. Um, you got kids, by the way? You got a, are you a parent? Are your kids going back to school? 
I, I am a parent. My my kids are older and they've just finished school, so they're transitioning into the workplace. So it's it's an interesting time for them as well. That's interesting. You sound like a mother in her 30s, so I figured you had little babies. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining us tonight. And how are you doing? Are you and your you doing okay through all of this? I mean, you know, looking through all the data and finding all the research, you must uh, you know see the dark and the ugly and all that stuff. Are you you managing okay through this? Well, yeah, I, I am managing okay, and I think the one advantage and, and the one blessing from my job is that I do get information and I do see information, and I, I think when you have facts, then you can manage that. So I know how important it is to invest in my mental health and also to make sure that I maintain good connections. So I'm not taking anything for granted, and again, that's, that's the benefit of the work that I do. It doesn't let me take it for granted. Well, amazing. You're a, you're a great guest and love to have you come back on. This is Paula Allen we're talking to. She's the global leader and SVP for research and total well-being at LifeWorks. It's an organization, if you run a business, that you should be calling and talking to them about what you need to do for your employees so they actually want to come back to work. As soon as we come back from break, we're going to talk about people that don't want to go back to work. We're going to speak to a lawyer who deals with employment issues and see what we can and cannot do. So stay with us. Come right back. This is Jonah Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Okay, and welcome back. Thank you for keeping us uh, keeping us in mind and tuning in and sharing with us this evening. Uh, love to hear from you if you have a chance and you want to give us a call or send us a message, please do so. Uh, we want to talk about going back to work, right? We want to understand this concept of going back to work and what does what does it really mean? Um, and I have a guest on with us tonight. I'm going to try to pronounce her name properly. Her name is Amadou Lina Viksnu. And uh, welcome to the show. I hope I pronounced it properly. If not, I apologize, and uh, I'm doing my best. You're an associate with uh, Sanfiru Tamarkin, and uh, you're a law, a law firm, right, that deals with employment law, correct? That's right. Um, we do employment and uh, disability work um, at the firm. Um, it's not Alina Viksnu, but that's Okay. <laughs> Okay, um, what, who uh, is it? Madalena Vixna is the name. Madalena Vixna. That's right, yeah. Yes. So my producer gave it to me phonetically, and it didn't line up. So we're going to fire him, and I'm going to be okay, <laughs> Not right? No problem. Don't, don't even worry. <laughs> it's it okay. I get, I, I, get, I get Yoda. I get Joda. I get Joda. I get Jonah. Like, so I know. I, it I, happens, I, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I feel it. Okay, so here's what we're talking about, buddy. We're talking about going back to work. Uh, lots of people you know, are looking at, uh, uh, you know, they kind of been digging this, working at home stuff. I mean, there's a bunch of people want to go to work. I think there's a greater percentage of people that want to stay and go back to work and so on. Um, and people don't know what to do. So the, the first question is, do they have to go back to work if their boss says, okay, everybody back to work on Monday at uh, 9.30? Do they have a choice, even if their anxiety and stuff is through the roof? Um, I mean, as much as we appreciate that there are obviously stresses and anxieties relating to coming back to work, which is totally normal and justified, especially in the current climate, um, in the context of returning, what really matters is what measures your employer has in place to protect you. Um, okay. and, and sort of what things they sort of have in place in order to help alleviate some of those anxieties. So um, are, they, are they enforcing social distancing? Do they have PPE in place? Um, where and how are those measures being enforced by the employer? Um, so I think one of the biggest things for people in terms of, um, you know, alleviating some of the stress relating to, to going back to work is um, before you go back or just before your return to work date, ask questions. You're, you know, you're entitled to understand what uh, public health measures are being adhered to and how, that, how that's happening. 
um, and, and the right to make sure that they're being enforced and to understand what protections are in place. So, um, I mean, I, I, just because you have concerns and anxieties about going back to work in the physical workspace, it doesn't necessarily mean there's grounds to continue to work from home. Like the short answer is, you know, if you're being recalled and, and there's not a, a, a reason that you can't return to the workplace, generally speaking, you know, you, you should be complying with that. Um, so it's important to look at the risks and your concerns from sort of an objective viewpoint as opposed to subjectively by asking those types of questions. Um, the other thing is, you know, if these anxieties are sort of through the roof, so to speak, um, talk to your employer. Maybe they can accommodate you if there's specific things that you that would really help to alleviate some of your concerns, you know, putting you in sort of a different space in the office where you might have a bit more sort of privacy or, or distance around you um, as opposed to sort of a bullpen type of <laughs> type of uh, setup. Um, we found that often employees are surprised by what can happen if they just ask. The employer can't read your mind, obviously. Um, so I think that one of the biggest things is, is, you know, if you have specific ideas about things that would help alleviate some of the stress or would give you a bit more um, comfort um, in the workplace, speak to your employer, see, see if there's anything that can be done. I mean, I'm not saying it's always possible, but um, many employers are willing to work with you to the extent that is possible um, to make sure that it's safe and comfortable for you to be a part of the physical workspace again. I think that um, everyone's anxious. It's not just you. So if you're anxious, you better believe your employer is likely anxious as well about keeping you safe and keeping the workplace um, functioning and, and open and, and uh, in compliance. So um, if you have suggestions or you're noticing things that are, are not being done, um, certainly you should be raising those. Um, yeah. So I have I have a te- I have a text message. I don't mean to cut you off because we just have such limited oh, time, okay. but uh, I, I could listen to you all evening. But uh, the the uh, plus it gives me a break, right? Uh, but the I have a text message saying if I go to my boss and tell him that I'm not feeling well and I have some mental health issues since COVID, am I likely to keep my job, or does he have a chance? Do I have a chance of him firing me? Uh, I mean, if you're having mental health concerns and, and, you know, you have a valid sort of concern about safety or about your about your health and you have a legitimate health requirement, seek a note from your doctor. Um, or if you have underlying health conditions, like you're particularly susceptible to, um, to COVID or you can't get the vaccine or, you know, you are having sort of a struggle with uh, with your mental health at the, at the how, how about how about how about wearing a mask all day like you know i have people that are calling me saying i've had to leave work after three hours because i can't breathe with my mask on and my anxiety is going through the roof yeah i mean so if, if these are if these are relating to sort of a, a diagnosed medical condition or even a, at this point potentially undiagnosed medical condition but um you know one that that could potentially relate to something like anxiety or or whatnot. Certainly, it's a, it's it's absolutely your first step is to go to your doctor, um, see if you can get a note from them saying, you know, I have been working from home up to now. That was working really well for me, um, and my doctor supports you know me continuing to do that to the extent that it's possible. Um, I mean, obviously, things like hyperventilating and, and panic attacks and whatnot are, are common with respect to anxiety. So, if the workplace environment is causing sort of an exacerbation of those symptoms um, and you have, you know, diagnosed generalized anxiety disorder or, or what or whatnot, whether it flows from from um, COVID or not. Um, right. Those are certainly, you know, valid medical conditions, which you could ask specifically for accommodation 
from your employer. And under the Human Rights Code, they have an obligation to accommodate a medical disability. Now, we're not saying you're disabled when we use the word disability in, in law. All medical conditions essentially are sort of lumped into that um, protected ground. But if, if you're able to get support from your doctor, um, you know, you should be able to, uh, you know, explore options for accommodation. It's important you participate in the, in the process of figuring out what accommodations are possible um, with, your, with your employer. They should work with you sort of cohesively. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, if, if, if there are sort of valid medical concerns and legitimate health health requirements relating to whether it's wearing masks or, or physically being in the workplace or, you know, any of these things are causing things like anxiety to spike and, and it's not tolerable, um, certainly your first step would be to get a note from your doctor that supports sort of what, what your needs are and, and explains to the employer what it is that you need in order to continue to function. Um, and then they have an obligation under the Human Rights Code to accommodate those to the extent possible up to the point of undue hardship, which is quite a high threshold. We're talking to, I'm going to make sure I get this properly, done properly here. We're talking to uh, uh, Medelina Vixne, right? That's correct, yep. Okay, from Sanfiro to Mark, and they're uh, an employment law firm. If you're having issues, you should definitely reach out to them and uh, give Medelina a call. Make sure you remind her that you, she, you, you heard about her on my show because I'm sure she'll treat you just a little bit better as much as she treats Certainly. everybody perfectly. Okay, but seriously, let's uh, give me, we only got a few minutes left. Give me an idea of the kind of, uh, by the way, you're great. You're a great guest. Uh, you, Thank you. Clear, clear answers. You know what you're talking about. It's 1030 at night. You're still, you know, energetic. You're, you're like the perfect uh, middle of the night guest to you know to talk to uh, but seriously um, give me an idea of the kind of calls you're getting what kind of people are you kind of getting um, you know looking for you what, what's the kind of the average uh, employee related call is it different than you were getting pre-pandemic now that we're kind of looking to go back uh, amongst this mess yeah I mean I, I guess like you know early on in the pandemic and honestly throughout the entire period we've been getting a lot of calls where employees have been laid off and they haven't been recalled obviously that's been an ongoing sort of issue and whether or not um, infectious disease emergency leave applies to them and so on and so forth um, so those have been really common there's there certainly have been calls about sort of the anxieties of returning to work and what what sort of options are um, in that respect, or or even uh, one of the big things that I've been noticing is childcare obligations, because obviously with schools closed and daycares closed, um, employees who maybe would be willing to return to work normally don't have sort of the options that they normally would have had, or daycares are booked into the 900 years from now. Yeah, um, exactly. So they're having some issues with that, which which you know is again, it's a it's a Family status would be a ground under the Human Rights Code where you could ask for specific accommodations, assuming that you've um, explored any other options available to you for child care. So, I mean, I know that that can be another source of stress for people with respect to, um, you know, the return to work and what are what am I going to do with my kids if the schools close again and I'm supposed yeah. to be at work from nine to five. So yeah, exactly. um, there are options on that in that regard as well. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, of course, if, if anybody's having any issues, um, we're we're open for business, obviously, okay. um, and happy to uh, happy to field some calls and, and, and give some advice as needed. Medelina Vixna, she's sitting in for Gregory Sills. Make sure you tell him he's not welcome to come back because you're going to be you for now on because I like you better. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much. 
there yeah please do um and, and thousands of people are hearing me so it's not like I'm, it's a secret um but uh <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and we'd love to have you come back in in a while let us know how things are progressing in the world of employees back to work and uh you're just a rock star and thanks for joining us tonight so you know if you're thinking about going back to work your pleasure if you're thinking of going back to work some accommodations your company might make are things like mask requirements social distancing in place vaccine mandates talk about that another time you know how they can can you mandate it is it legal or not legal i don't know vaccine mandates COVID testing frequent and thorough hand washing duh we know that developing policies and procedures for employees reporting and monitoring of COVID 19 symptoms so that's what the companies are doing what you can do is keep hand sanitizer at your desk use it all the time continue wearing a mask when you can if you can't you're feeling overwhelmed find a space where you don't need to wear one maybe step outside catch your breath and put it back on uh, wash your hands as often as you can don't touch your face eyes mouth any part of your face uh, you know while you're at work you know try to use a Kleenex if you want to scratch yourself or touch your face or whatever use a Kleenex or something employees avoid close contact by maintaining six feet away from your buddies and friends you can still do a fist pump if your arms are long enough <laughs> and stay home if you're sick of course stay home if you're sick so those are the there's ways to go to work and make it happen as soon as we come back from break we're going to come up with 10 reasons why people don't want to go back to work and i can tell you one of them is the commute and just the nonsense of having to get through the horrible traffic in this city on all of the highways certainly enough to aggravate me so when we come back we're going to deal with that the 10 reasons why people say they won't return to work see how you feel about that this is yona bud 640 toronto addiction is a serious issue and we take it seriously this is road to recovery with yona bud on 640 toronto Welcome back. Thank you for joining us tonight. This is Yona on Road to Recovery. So we've been talking about back to school, back to work. So, you know, there's a lot of people that really want to get back to work, but there's a whole bunch of people that don't. They like the idea of just, you know, staying where they are and doing their their thing from home and, you know, wearing their shorts and dress shirt on top and, and sneakers and, and, and floppy shoes without having to get all dressed up in the shirt and tie or a nice dress and those shoes that are, you know, killing your feet by 2 o'clock, right? So, you know, there's reasons why people say they don't want to go back to work. There's lots of reasons why people want to go back to work, but there's lots of reasons why people don't go back to work. As a matter of fact, there was a study, I believe it's an American study, uh, and they found that at uh, the beginning of the pandemic, about this time last year, actually, 8.5% of unemployment, uh, the national unemployment rate was at 8.5%, and the benefits, all the different benefits that were available, um, like we have here in terms of CERB and so on, were, were also, you know, extended and things, you know, there was really no reason to really want to quit your job at that time. You know, everything was going pretty well for you. But, you know, ongoing pandemic and this comeback economy and, you know, a lot of people start realizing when it comes to their jobs, you know, like maybe I could do better. Maybe I could find a job that better suits me where I feel like I'm, you know, more meaningful and, you know, a little bit more purpose in what I'm doing. It's called the great resignation. Now, of course, we've got captions and sayings for everything uh, in our society. The great resignation, that's people resigning themselves to the fact that, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't think I'm going back to the office. If you're in a good position, you can take that early payout. Maybe you do that. But in June of uh, this past year, 4 million people quit their jobs. And uh, we found out that in April, somewhere similar numbers, uh, there were 9.3 million job openings available in the United States of America as of the end of April last year. Because people just weren't going back. A lot of people working from home. A lot of people doing their own thing 
oh my gosh, this uh, pandemic has spawned a, a whole crew of very talented people that are working from home and doing their own thing and generating an entrepreneurial revenue uh, stream that uh, is more than enough to feed them, frankly. Many I've talked to are doing much better than they did when they were working. So people, let's look at the 10 reasons quickly here why people you know, really want to get back to work. So number one, they want more flexibility in remote work. They like the idea of why they want, you know, of working remotely, working from home, as I said earlier. And as a matter of fact, there's a recent study, a survey from an organization called Legion, and 59% of employees would quit the job during uh, due to scheduling issues, excuse me, highlighting the need for flexibility in and around the workplace. So people want to be able to come and go. They like the idea now of, you know, signing in and signing out of Zoom meetings and such and getting your work done in between dropping the kids at soccer and picking up your daughter from a sleepover, right? So people like the flexibility. They find that they're more productive, as the survey goes on to say. Instead of going to a 9-to-5 office, Employees are now saying the time, effort, and money uh, and putting it back into their days. They're saving all this money and all this time and all the stress. Oh, my gosh. We did a show a while ago, the stress of driving to work. Like, oh, if, you know, after an hour and a half on the on one of our 400 highways here or along the lakeshore, like, you got to be ready to jump out the window, right? And people with kids, for example, they love the idea how they can watch over their kids and still get their work done. So it's cutting down for a lot of people. It's cutting down their costs of, of daycare and so on. I, I, you know, I, I can't imagine working and taking care of a bunch of kids at the same time, but there's a lot of super moms and super dads out there that are able to do that. Number two big uh, reason is the cost to commute, the money, the commuting, the buying the lunch, you know, having the work appropriate clothing like we talked about, the nice shoes and the nice dress, the nice suit, the tie, the shirt, you know, whatever. At least slacks in a shirt, right? That stuff costs money. And, you know, you're unlikely to want to wear the same pair every day because if you're married and you're a male, your wife's going to tell you that's not nice. And if you're, you know, a female and you're dressing for work, I don't need to tell you that, you know, for some reason uh, people out there are much more concerned about the way they look. Um, and it seems to be just statistics show that people that that are more, you know, moms are more concerned about how they look when they go to work than dads per se. Uh, it's not a gender thing. It just, it's just the way this stacks up, right? So I never know if I'm saying the right things, you know, like I'm going to get myself into trouble here. Um, and you can always get a hold of us here, right? You can always text me at 647-488-0086 or by email road to recovery at 640toronto.com or call me. You know, anytime during the week, 877-777-5808. I'd be glad to talk to you. The second reason is, so we're back to talking about why people don't want to go back to work, right? On this little tangents and let you know how to find me. But listen, they're just not getting paid enough. People are starting to realize with CERB, you know, the 2000 bucks a month and so on, that it's just not, doesn't make sense. I had a kid tell me that I'm working with in my practice. I said, you know, you'd be feeling a lot more productive if you did something every day. Why don't you just go get yourself some kind of job? He says, it doesn't make sense. I make more money staying home. Anyway, I don't want to get into that's a whole political thing, and that's not my focus. They want health-focused benefits is number four. They want their companies to be focused on not just their bodies, but on their minds and their physical well-being and continuing education and being there for their kids and so on. Employers need to offer benefits that support the whole person. Employees today are saying 73% of the professionals that were surveyed uh, in the United States for this particular survey, uh, they said wellness offerings influence their decisions where they would work over money. Interesting. Work-life balance has become a big thing, right? It's becoming possible. People now realize they can have a life and work too. Numbers, that's number five. Number six, 
Their managers have lacked compassion. This is where a lot of corporations and a lot of employers, not the one I work for, no, sir, not chorus, not chorus. They are a first class operation when it comes to taking care of their employees. It's, uh, they spend a lot of time and I'm sure a lot of money taking care of us and they do a great job. Uh, and I'm not just blowing smoke at them because I'm employed by them, but they really do a superb job of managing the wellness of their employees and staff. Uh, their managers have lacked that compassion. That's a big reason. Number seven. Holy smokes, they're burnt out. They're just burnt out. You know, a lot of people are, ca- are, are making up for other people that have been sick and they've been laid off and coming up with all kinds of COVID-related reasons because that's the new thing, right? COVID-related reasons why you can't get your job done, for example, right? So they're just burnt out. They just don't feel like going back. They want to do something else. Number eight, they feel detached from the company anyway. Yeah, duh. You know, like if you're not going to go back to work, for sure you're going to feel disconnected. A lot of people stayed in the job because they liked the people. Number nine, they were treated as disposable during the peak of the pandemic. People felt worthless, and they were shifted around and added to, you know, things added to them and so on. And number 10, because they became, we all became more introverted and self-aware. The whole world now is more mindful, which is a good thing, I think, coming out of this pandemic, is mindfulness is a good thing for all of us. It helps keep us grounded and helps us stay in the day so we can enjoy what we have in front of us and not focus on what was behind us like yesterday or what fears we have for tomorrow that hasn't even come yet. And for fears, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that are sober now and they have a real hard time going to summer parties and such. When we come back from break, uh, we're going to talk about how you go to sober summertime parties in a safe way, keep yourself out of trouble and still have a really good time, man. It's You can do it, I promise. As soon as we come back, we're going to talk about that. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Okay, it's Yona. We're welcome back for the last segment. Boy, this show goes by so fast, even when they offer us an extra hour. Just not enough. I think we got to go all night. We'll maybe do that someday. I love you. You're the best audience ever, honestly. And uh, I just love having you guys listen in and uh, be a part of what we're doing on this road to recovery that we're all on, frankly. And not, we're not all in this together. Anyway, uh, trying to get together with friends and you're trying to stay sober and clean. So for sure, staying away from drug infested and drug related parties, that's the no brainer. But if you're just going to like a buddy's party, the neighbor up the street, I had a guy call me the other day saying, listen, I've invited to the neighbor party up the street. I go every summer. Um, and I usually get blasted and, you know, really drunk and it's usually a shit, uh, a real, I was going to use the wrong word. It's usually a, a shit's Creek storm with, uh, I think I can get away with doing it that way, uh, with, uh, you know, my wife and the kids and everybody sees me acting like an idiot. And so now that I'm sober five months, they're having this barbecue and, and Yona, I don't know what to do. So I'm like, well, first of all, the fact that you're calling me to talk to me about it is amazing. And that's the first thing to do is recognize that you can't go and party like Billy up the street because that's not who you are. And that you have an addiction and an issue and you got to be careful around it. And self-care is over and above having fun at a party. And you should be able to do both. So here's what people talk about, right? With COVID restrictions, people are talking about um, getting together with people, you know, of any size, you know, backyard barbecue, birthday party, wedding, pool party, whatever, simple stuff, right? Come on over for a swim. There's always booze. Like there's just always booze. Um, you know, it's amazing. I go to certain places from time to time and, you know, I'm walking in and, you know, everybody's drinking and smoking a joint and clearly they don't care that I, I'm an addiction counselor and I do this stuff for a living, but, um, nor do I judge, you know, I just do my thing and I'm a, I'm a good boy. I do what I need to do and I don't do what I shouldn't be doing. But for those who are in recovery, it's very difficult to figure out how to navigate this whole thing. How do you make it safe? How do you make it work for you? 
Because you know you can't just you know lock yourself away and avoid every social event. You can't constantly be saying, no, can't make it, have a headache, my stomach ache, my dog died, God forbid, the chain fell off my bike, whatever your excuse is, right? But there are ways that you can present it, ways that make it easier for you to go to these events and actually have more fun. So number And in a safe way. I keep using the word safe because it's got to be good for you. And by the way, if you're there and you're feeling uncomfortable, you can always say, wow, you know, I got a headache. I, got, I love you guys. I got to go. Right? You can always get out of there, which brings me to the, the first point. You got to bring backup. These are points you can use. You got to bring a friend to a party that's not, that not only just understands, but he supports the sobriety, less likely to feel pressured into having a drink if you're there with somebody else. If you're there by yourself, everybody, come on, buddy, want a beer or somebody? Come on, man, you want a drink? Come on. One drink. It's not a big deal, right? Inside, you're saying to yourself, oh, my God, I'm just like melting inside. But it is a big deal. And if you're trying to stay sober, it's a big deal. And people bugging you about it and being in your face about it and making you feel like, you know, I've, you know I even had one of my patients tell me some one time he was with a bunch of guys and someone said, you know, well, you're acting like such a girl. How come you're not having a drink? Like, first of all, disrespectful at so many levels and just a moron, right? So the other thing, you don't want to be around stupid people. You want to pick your friends. You want to go to parties where you know there's going to be enough people there that are, you know, halfway decent and uh, have their life together in some way, shape, or form. Bring a buddy. I'm a big buddy, big buddy fan, especially if you're, you know, if you're a woman. I'm just for a safety factor. I know that there's a thing with men and women, but in fact, I keep coming back to this. The statistics say women are more likely to be harassed or in some way uh, put at risk uh, when going to parties alone, when traveling alone, and so on. So bring a backup. Bring a friend anyway. I like that idea. My wife, Pumpkin, does it all the time. I feel much more comfortable when she does it. She does it for me. I'm sure not for her, but I sleep better. Right. So take a pal, a pal with you that's going to say, come on, don't listen to those guys. Come over here. Let's go get some. Let's go get the wings. Let's go have a burger. Let's go out front. Let's go out front for a smoke. Right. There's lots of ways you need distractions. And if you're there with a good friend, they're going to help you do that. Bring your own party drinks. Oh my gosh. Show up with stuff. Like cool stuff, like these really cool drinks that you can buy in bottles and, and, and can, you know, smaller containers. You can buy them by the six pack, 12 pack, all kinds of delicious summer things, uh, that are combinations of different juices and sparkling water and like so many. Bring your own and bring a bunch for everybody else. So not only bring your own 12 pack, so to speak, but bring a whole bunch for everybody else. Put them out on the table and let every, you know, somebody, oh, nice idea. Sir, I'd like to try one of these. Next thing you know, or undercover brother, bring something along that no one has to know. You put it in your own little, uh, you know, carry along portable mug type thing, 16 ounces of something plastic with a lid, and no one has to know what you're drinking if you're concerned about it. I say, who gives a damn? That's what you want to drink, and it's sparkly and delicious and cool and lovely and doing the job. That's what you want to drink, right? So don't be afraid. Don't hide. You're the rock star. They aren't. Don't get caught off guard. Oh, my gosh. You don't want to owe anybody an explanation. So have a good idea or a plan of what you're going to say if somebody asks. I'm not a big believer in lying, but you can say, you know what, I'm not drinking right now. I'm working out or, you know, I'm not feeling the greatest or I'm trying to lose weight or giving it a rest for the summer or, you know what, changing my life and booze isn't in it. That's a ballsy statement to say. I think I can say ballsy. They haven't blipped me yet. Right? That's a good thing to say. Changing my life and booze isn't in it. Right? Wow. What a powerful statement. Pick and choose your parties. I said it a little earlier. Pick and choose your friends, same way, right? You want to be around people that are good to you. Someone once said to one of my patients, a mom said to one of my patients, I'll never forget it. I say it all the time to different patients all the time and people I talk to. 
If you're with someone who doesn't make you feel good about you, you shouldn't be with them. If you're in a situation that doesn't make you feel good about you, you shouldn't be there. If you're in a job that doesn't make you feel good about you, you shouldn't be working there, and so on. You get my drift. I'm sure you feel me, right? So don't be around people that are morons. Don't be around people that are going to judge you and make you feel bad. And don't be around people that are going to pressure you into making decisions that you know aren't good for you. And here's the one I like the very best, to be perfectly honest. Host your own party. I had a guy the other day call me, one of my patients. He says, you know, there's a big game coming, whatever, whatever, soccer thing or whatever they're into. Uh, I don't pay much attention to the sports part of the world anyway. Um, and, you know, like, I don't want to go because I know everybody's going to be drinking and, you know, they're going to be hammered by 5 o'clock. I said, dude, why don't, you have, why don't you offer an alternative? Why don't you have a massive barbecue at your house at 2, a, a late lunch massive barbecue? And I'm talking about buy steaks, like buy stuff, ribs and things that not just hot dogs and hamburgers. I mean, obviously, if you can afford it. I mean, last year you could afford all the booze in the world, right? So you can certainly afford some tasty, delicious food. You'd be surprised how many guys will come for a beautiful steak and not even ask where the booze is. And if they want to bring their own, just say, you know what? We're doing an alcohol-free kind of environment today. So if you don't mind, just uh, leave it until you go over to Billy's tonight. That's how you do it. You manage it. You stay on top of it. You take charge of it. And that's how you go to a party and you stay clean and sober, by making choices, good choices for you. Speaking of good choices, make sure that this week you love the one you're with and you're hugging them and you're letting them know how much you love them and you make good decisions and choices that work for you so that when you sleep at night, you don't toss and turn going, oh, man, I wish I could do that all over again. Speaking of all over again, we're going to do this next Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Looking forward to having you come back. Make it an amazing week, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you when you can, uh, and uh, we'll talk next Saturday night. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.